0: Good morning, good day, and good evening. I am once again your host, Brody Robertson. And today we are back for episode, I didn't bother to check the episode number, 145 apparently. Jesus Christ. We are really closing in on like 200 episodes. Like, I can't believe this show has been going on for this long. Like nearly, I guess it has been more than three years. Because there have been a couple of episodes i skipped here and there. Jesus Christ, I need to go back and check exactly when I started the podcast. It's definitely been way, way too long. And speaking of things that have been way too long, Wayland actually being good. Now, if I, uh, you know, my trainer thought disappears, there's a good reason for that. My neighbor's car alarm has been going off for the past, like, five or so minutes. And it's been coming back on, like, procedurally, not procedurally, randomly throughout the day. Uh, yeah, it's not fun. I could close the window, but then I'll die of heat exhaustion. Okay, it's off now. Let's hope it doesn't come back on. I don't know if you guys could hear that or not. You probably couldn't. This mic's generally pretty good at, like, blocking out the noise, and I have a noise gate all that. So, when I, actually, no, noise gate's not going to help, because the noise gate only helps when I'm not talking. And the podcast, I'm always talking. Yeah. Uh, anyway, car alarm's off now. Let's just ignore that. Wayland... I, I am actually like really excited for the state that Wayland's in, and the state that Wayland's going to be in like maybe six months to a year. I haven't talked about this much on this channel, but if you've been watching my main channel, you may have heard me talk about like the new VSync protocol. So you can finally use Wayland and disable VSync. Now some people are like, oh, but why would you want to disable VSync? That means you're gonna get screen tearing. Good. I want screen tearing, I want less input lag. That's the problem that, that Wayland sort of always had. It's great as a general desktop experience. Hey, you can, you know, watch videos, you can write documents, scroll through things, and no screen tearing whatsoever. I think that's a really admirable goal. Admirable goal. And as a general computing experience, I think vSync is better. Some people don't like vSync just on the desktop, you know, they feel like the input lag, you know, is kind of iffy. I don't mind. It's fine when it's like that. But for gaming, I want to have the option to have vSync on or not. Some games play nicely with vSync, some don't. If I'm playing a turn based game, for example, I don't really care about the vSync. Like, if I'm playing um, FF10, for example, or I am emulating Pokemon, I don't really care about VSync. It doesn't matter. It might, you know, make things feel a little bit kind of sloppy, like the the UI might feel a little bit off, but it's not enough where it really matters. Unless you're playing a game like Kingdom Hearts 2, where if you don't know, that game has like a frame-perfect UI, you can do Crazy shit in that game because they made the UI the most optimized. Cr- just go look at some of the like high level PS, uh, the high level um, Kingdom Hearts Two stuff. The UI is so insanely optimized. You get through everything in like an absolute instant, making the Taz stuff just ridiculous. Like you can install and or you can equip like an entire set of gear and like change out everything in like 10 frames. Like that's how stupid Kingdom Hearts 2 is. But besides weird games like that, your general gaming experience like slower stuff Vsync fine. Quick stuff like that or like, you know, you're playing Dark Souls, you're playing DMC5, anything like that, you want the option to disable Vsync. Now some people do still prefer having Vsync. They don't really care about the extra input lag. The um, <clears throat> you know, the the less teary experience is something that they do prefer. But I'm not in that camp. I am in the camp of give me the option. I want to have better input lag and be good to go. So there's that protocol, which took a while to come in, basically because a lot of the Wayland devs aren't gamers and have no idea what gamers actually want from their system. They're like, why would anybody want reshink? What? Why would anybody want tearing? Wayland's supposed to be frame perfect. I've heard dumb arguments like this breaks the whole concept of Wayland. It's just like if the whole if the whole selling point of Wayland is to make the user's experience worse, you are certainly doing that for a very long time. But thankfully, they've decided to like you know address that and bring that protocol through. Now at this point, it's up to the um. <clears throat> Up to the compositors, up to the desktops to actually go and implement it. So it's gonna take like maybe six months to a year for that to be properly propagated out. Now, obviously the better the better experience like all around is VSync with variable refresh rate. But even though VR has gotten a lot cheaper and you know a lot of people are going to be able to afford those devices now. People don't want to buy a new display just to fix a software problem. Like, they expect the software to do what the software's supposed to do, and then go from there. Uh, There's been... I think it was a couple of months back at this point. If I look at it, I guarantee that if I look it up, I'm going to find my video on it. Uh, Wayland Global Shortcuts. Will I find my... Yep, my video is the top video. Of course it is. This is on Google because, I don't know, I wanted to find it quickly. Um... (laughs) I do love the fact that for a lot of these a lot of these topics, like my video is now just a top video. It's very strange. Oh, you can't even see it. What the fuck? Why is it on the wrong desk or the wrong thing? Get over here. Uh, that one. There we go. Do we even have that window open? Oh. <laughs> I know what happened. I know what happened. I I'm stupid. That was the correct window. I'd actually opened up a new window that I didn't need. Anyway, let me just go back to that one. Uh, Global shortcuts. Here we go. Top video. Anyway, that wasn't the point I was getting at. The point I was getting at was that the idea of global shortcuts are finally being dealt with as well. Not directly in the Wayland protocol, but with a user space extension, a user space application to run that works around the protocol. And then there's also the thing that just happened today, with um, fractional scaling, I guess it'd be last week for you guys, but the fractional scaling protocol also just got merged. So all of these major changes are happening towards the end of this year. Now it's gonna as I said, it's gonna take time for these things to propagate out to the users, and especially this one because the VSync one, you just have to rely on the compositors. But the scale, the scaling one, is going to depend on not only the compositors but also the toolkits, and then it depends on you using the latest toolkit. Like if you're using, if you've got an application built in Qt four, for example, still, it's not going to support it. But if you've got like probably Qt five and definitely Qt six are going to have this, and I think Qt six actually, maybe Qt five already as well. I think they both already had support for fractional scaling for use over on the Xorg side. Uh, but on Wayland, okay, the problem with Wayland, and you've probably seen, you may have actually seen like Wayland compositors that have fractional scaling. And I didn't realize this, but the way that fractional scaling works in Wayland, it doesn't. That's the thing. It's been a lie this entire time. <clears throat> and a lot of people me included had been saying that wayland fractional scaling wayland scaling is better than xorg it's not the pro- okay so here's what wayland uh, scaling did so wayland support integer scaling so you could say i want to have something at 100% i want it at 200% i want it at 300% so on and so forth you usually don't want to go above 200% unless we're talking like you know Uh, projector screens, and things like that, but or, like, you're you're running, like, a 4K phone, something yeah, no, you'd want to go higher scale on a smaller screen, so, like, a 4K phone, for example, but usually you don't want to go above 200, but 200, even so, is still way too much scale, most people want to scale something by, like, you know, 125%, 150%, and You can scale like that. At least you think you can. But it doesn't scale the way that you think it would scale. So you would expect it goes from 100% and then scales it up to 150%. That's not the way it works. Because the Wayland compositors can only tell the toolkit to do 100 or 200, uh, yeah, to do 100, 200, and so on and so forth, the toolkit will scale to 200. So when you have a toolkit scaling it's going to make assumptions about how things should be scaled. So, you know, font, for example, you don't have to just, like, rasterize, resize it. You can render that font at a larger size. So if you have, like, um, 30-point font, for example, and you scale by 1.5, then you'll use 45-point font. And you don't have to just, like, you know, do a basic scale. You can re-render that font at that larger size. And same with like other vector components. Like if you have a bunch of you know, I don't know vector buttons and things like that, those will scale just fine because vectors can be scaled infinitely. A vector is basically just like a set of instructions, uh, a set of instructions on how to draw a a a. a, a fuck i can't speak set of instructions on how to draw an image as opposed to a set of pixel locations with their color values and things like that which is what a rasterized image like a jpeg png things like that are so also anything you draw programmatically so say you want to like have your i don't know you have a program and for some reason the program draws a circle well you can render that just fine, because all you're doing is telling the program to draw a circle. So if you make the circle one and a half times bigger, the application can just draw the circle one and a half times bigger. Basically, the only things that don't scale well are anything rasterized, like those PNG, JPEGs, things like that, which you'll usually use for logos, for example. Generally, your buttons and things like that wouldn't be using a rasterized image. There are exceptions for this, but usually you'll have your buttons drawn in code. So, you scale to 200%, everything looks clean, but here's where it gets stupid with the compositor. So, you actually will then scale it down with the compositor. The compositor has no internal knowledge on how the application is supposed to look. How the toolkit is supposed to render things. All it does is a basic rasterized downscale. So it will take this really crisp 200%. And then scale it down to like 150, 125. Whatever it is you're going to be using. And in most cases. Ends up looking. Not terrible. It, it's like functional. But. Especially in the cases of fonts. Fonts. You, you, don't notice, you don't notice as much with buttons and things like that, but especially with fonts and other things which you expect to be really clear, yeah, um, there's no avoiding it being a little bit blurry. This new protocol basically gets rid of that... Uh, that gets, uh, <laughs> uh, gets rid of that ability... Get, no, doesn't get rid of the ability. It keeps the ability... It gets rid of the need of using the integer scale and adds the option to pass in a fractional number instead. So you can say, I want to scale by 1.5, 1.25, whatever it is, and then things will work, presumably, if the toolkit implements it properly. So, you know, you can't really get too far if the toolkits themselves don't go and do so. Then there's the issue of the applications that don't use toolkits and use something like, you know, OpenGL directly. And with those ones, well, yeah. Scaling was never going to never going to be in a good state for that. Now, usually that's not... Mo- like, most things don't do that. Usually when you're talking about scaling like that, it's in the context of games. Um, <clears throat> most... Like actual user applications will use like a GTK, a Qt, things like that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are some things that don't, but yeah, you know, we're not talking about those because that's just an issue. Now, I hope, I hope that things like this get dealt with, you know, in a relatively quick pace, because I want it to be dealt with, and I want. I, I desperately want to get to the point where, when people are just saying, "Oh, Wayland bad. Wayland's never going to be good," they just end up looking ridiculous. Because you know, up until this point, you've sort of had a a justifiable explanation to say that Wayland is bad. But right now, we're in this stage where a lot of these long-term Wayland issues are genuinely being addressed, and we're genuinely getting to the point where. I would say for like 9, maybe like 95, 96%, of, maybe even more than that, maybe like 98, 99% of users, that Wayland is getting to the point where it's actually usable. Now, one of the big blockers is still NVIDIA. So maybe it's even lower, maybe it's like 80%, but NVIDIA, from my understanding, works fine on GNOME but doesn't play nicely on, like, KDE. But I've heard other people say the exact same thing, where it works great on KDE and doesn't work well on GNOME. So my assumption is that NVIDIA is just a mess on Linux, Um, (laughs) and you just probably shouldn't use it, except if you have everything built around NVIDIA, like Ren did, and then it was doing a lot of stuff with CUDA, and then leaves NVIDIA and was like, oh, everything's broken. Like, yep, that's what happens when you lose CUDA. Uh, the only big problem with this fractional scaling nonsense is the fact that Gnome's sort of... Mm, Gnome's sort of like not going to happen anytime soon. Now, there is actually a, a merge request over on Mutter. So let's see if I can find that one. I think this is the one it is. Yes, uh, there is a merge request over on Mutter. But there's an issue here, because you can merge it into Mudder just fine. And I kind of imagine that it is going to happen... Maybe not soon, but sometime into the future. There doesn't seem to be anything in the project kind of blocking it. The major issue, though, is even if they do merge it, you won't be using it. Um, I don't know if I have a link to the... Maybe it's in one of my other notes... Uh, video notes. Fractional scaling. And there should be one in here from Emmanuel Bussi. Here, I think it is. Yes, yes, yes. No. Yes, this is it. Okay. So, E. Bussi, Emmanuel Bassi, uh very, very loud GNOME dev, very active in the GNOME development space and the GNOME toolkit, things like that. Fractional scaling is implemented entirely inside the compositor. GTK only has integer scaling factors, and that won't change for GTK 4. Now, keep in mind this was two years ago, so things might change, but from everything I've read, it seems more likely that in GTK 5 fractional scaling is going to happen. From my understanding, there is a lot of spaghetti code, a lot of stuff that would need to be refactored for fractional scaling to actually be functional. Uh, If that is the case, then shouldn't GTK applications look blurry with fractional scaling unless it is implemented by the toolkit? Is the compositor scaling widgets, text, icons individually somehow? Uh, The compositor scales down the top-level surface to the point where it can pixel align uh, so it doesn't look terrible. But applications must keep aligning everything in the pixel grid and an integer scaling factor doesn't fractional scale... doesn't cause fractional scale... Wait. Doesn't... an integer scaling factor doesn't cause fractional pixels and alignments to begin with. Uh I feel like he completely missed what this guy was saying. <laughs> I think he entirely missed what it's saying, because I think even back then, GNOME did have fractional scaling. I know that KDE definitely does, but the implementation was kind of like eh. It was like, hey, it's technically... Fractional scaling, but, like, not in the best state. It's kind of a hack. And, uh, yeah. So, hopefully, this gets dealt... One thing I don't understand, though, like, QT has had fractional scaling for a long time. I don't know why... When did GTK4 come out? Considering he's talking about it two years ago. It's got to be at least two years old. When did GTK4 come out? GTK4... Or was it the stable release that came... Wait, was that the most recent stable release? When the fuck did GTK4 come out? Ah. Uh, December 2020. Oh my god, I did a video on it at the time. Oh my god. Wait, here we go. Let's have a look. Oh my god. I think this was back on the old C920. Yeah, it was, because we had the... The Blue Yeti at the time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I had so much light going on in the background. Wow. Anyway, I'm not going to go watch my old content again like I do every single fucking episode. Um, but yeah, GTK 4 has been out for a while. But I believe Qt very pretty much had established for a long time by that point, fractional scaling. And fractional scaling is a feature that people have like said they have wanted in the Linux desktop for quite a while now, so I'm almost certain that fractional scaling was as like a, a discussion topic back there as well. Why it never got implemented, I was going to say I don't know, but I do know it's because GNOME doesn't care. GNOME is very much, hey, we want to do the GNOME thing, and if that doesn't align with what we want to do, ah, uh, fuck you, basically. <laughs> now, every project is... It does this to some extent, but I feel like Gnome is kind of a little bit extra fuck you in this regard. But um, speaking of fuck you, let's talk about another really cool thing happening. So I have an AMD GPU, and I run the open source AMD GPU drivers because that's what you do on Linux. You use the open source drivers because they're just better. On video, you use the proprietary drivers because they're just better. And on Intel, they're just open source. So you don't really have a choice. and They're good. Like, Intel's drivers have basically always been good. But one thing that's always been a little bit hit and miss on the Linux desktop is OpenCL. Now, OpenGL, you've probably heard of. OpenGL, is it Open Graphics Language? Is that what it stands for? If it's not Open Graphics Language, someone is going to correct me on that. Um... <laughs> Anyway, OpenGL is like the sort of the standard on the Linux desktop for doing graphics and things like that. Vulkan is also very popular, but Vulkan you usually see in the context of uh, of gaming. So OpenGL is great, but when we're talking about compute operations like offloading your spreadsheet onto your GPU, uh. GPU vi- uh, 3D modeling, uh, processing raw photography, things like this, or um, did I say video editing? I didn't, if I didn't say video editing, video editing. Like DaVinci Resolve very heavily relies on OpenCL. For these tasks, you want to be using OpenCL, which I'm gonna guess stands for Open Compute Language, Open Computing Language. Okay, close enough. And the problem that we've had with the AMD drivers is AMD's open source drivers don't have an OpenCL implementation. I don't know why AMD, just for their consumer cards, doesn't really care. I, I really don't know. Because that's one of the major things that AMD is missing on Linux. The other thing is a, like a graphical, um, what do you call it? Like a, a GP, not GPU map. Like, you know how NVIDIA had a control panel. NVIDIA has their, their control panel even on Linux. But AMD doesn't have a control panel. The only control panels that exist are like third-party applications, which are good, but they're not a first-party uh, first-party solution. So I want to use OpenCL. Now, on NVIDIA, with their proprietary drivers, you can use OpenCL. Like, it's got OpenCL built into it. Novo doesn't. So if you're using Novo for some fucking reason, uh, you didn't have OpenCL. Intel, by default, doesn't have OpenCL, but they have their... I want to say it's the Intel Compute Runtime Stack. Uh, They've had different implementations in the past, but I want to say... Yeah, the Intel Compute Runtime Stack, which you can find the source code for over on... The GitHub, here. right Right here. And it's not packaged on every distribution... But you can get it installed basically anywhere if you try hard enough. Either way, though, it is a pain in the ass to get set up. It's just extra work that needs to be done. In comes Rusty CL. So the Mesa project has been. I guess not even the Mesa project, like one crazy developer was like, hey, I'm gonna. <laughs> like, this is so stupid. The, the reason why we have now have a um OpenCL Rust implementation. I wanted to learn Rust and was thinking, why not implement OpenCL in it inside Mesa and see how nice it would be to use Rust inside Mesa. He wasn't like an experienced Rust developer. He's like, I want to learn the language. I'm going to implement OpenCL. Now, as you may have spotted there, oh, god, the hell, why we jump ahead? Uh, as you probably spotted here, it has been merged, now, the reason why it got merged is because Carol Herbst isn't just some, like, random, crazy Rust He is certainly a Rust um, but he's also very experienced not only in the Mesa project, but also heavily developed Novo. Uh, heavily has developed a lot of the other OpenCL implementations, like Clover, for example, and sort of is very, very well established in the Linux graphics stack, and has a good understanding of what's going on inside of it. But this, uh, this got opened up about eight months ago, and pretty much, you know, for quite a while here, there was nothing in regards to, like, you know, hey, don't do this in Rust. Rust bad. Uh, there was eventually a comment from... Where is the guy? Uh, somewhere here. Prince... That, Francisco Jerez, who two months ago was trying, he made like a giant thread here with a bunch of other people being like no, we're actually going to be doing this he was the only person in the entire thread that was like, trying to block this merger, everyone else was like, no, it's, it's gonna happen, actually you might have spotted one familiar face in there uh, here we go, look, it's Lena, wow, it's Lena, um also Alyssa's over here anyway, um yeah, so we're getting a Rust implementation OpenCL. Now, we did already have a Mesa, op- uh, a Mesa Rust implementation, uh, Mesa OpenCL implementation called Clover. Now, the problem with Clover is kind of twofold. One, it didn't support newer versions of OpenCL. B- main problem. And the main problem there is... Uh, the main problem with that is it uh, didn't have developers. So OpenC, um, Clover was written in C++. Now, C++ is a language that you either love or you hate. And it turns out that everybody inside the Mesa project kind of hates it, except this one guy. So no one was developing it, and this was, you know, trying out C++. Now Dave Varley, the guy who's basically uh, running that aspect of the project, pretty much is like, you know what, it's a failed experiment. Let's try out something new. So we have this new implementation by Carol, <coughs> by Carol and it's written in Rust. Now, m- sort of Francisco's biggest concern here is is because it's written in Rust, it sort of shares that same concern that uh, Clover has, except he doesn't admit that Clover had that problem. Like, he's aware that Clover had that problem and uses, like, uh, uses Rust in the case of uh, Rusty DCL as, like, th- the same example. and Everyone's just like, that's the same thing. Um, the difference, I think, with Rust DCL is right now there is a lot of attention around Rust. There is a lot of young developers, a lot of really talented developers, who are very, very heavily active in Rust. Not only, like, not only Lena, but, like, a bunch of other people involved in the Mesa project are really interested in seeing where Rust goes. Now, maybe, you know, 5-10 years from now, Rust is a dead language that nobody cares about. But I don't see that being the case. Like with Google adopting Rust, I think, I think, um, I think Windows is adopt or Microsoft is adopting Rust in some case. Uh, but I know that Google is definitely adopting it for use in uh, Android. I don't see Rust like disappearing. I think Rust is going to be one of these like major major languages up there with things like C. It might end up being like COBOL, where you know there's a lot of code written in it, but no developers working in it. Uh, but I hope that it doesn't really go that way. The the reason why I think it's gonna be different is I've been hearing about Rust long before anybody cared about Rust. Like I knew about Rust back with like Rust zero point two. There were people in my university that were shilling Rust back then. Nobody was using it. It wasn't used in any major projects. It was already being shilled. <laughs> I think Rust is going to be like... The systems language for the, the Zoomers. The systems language for the next generation of programmers. And it's going to keep growing and growing and growing. And we'll see how it sort of goes in in the Linux kernel as well. Because the Linux kernel now has, um, now has the basic Rust support... And I've not heard anything about it since then. Which is a good thing. Which means it's not doing anything great. But it's not doing anything so bad that Linus gets really, really angry. Which is good. Which is very good. Because we don't want Linus to be angry. We want Linus to be... Um... <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen Linus happy. But content. Accepting of the Rust language in the Linux kernel. <laughs> But um, the other implementation of uh, OpenCL that you could use with AMD was called Rock'em. And Clover also shared an issue with this one. Uh, The problem with Rock'em is the device support. I'm pretty sure that Rock'em doesn't support RDNA cards. I could be mistaken there. Uh, Linux Rock'em RDNA... Uh, or does it support RDNA 1 cards? And I, I did hear something about RDNA. Uh, okay, here we go. Let's check. <clears throat> the Radeon Open Compute. Uh, this was back in 2020. Will Rockham support RDNA 2 architecture when it is released in the future? Uh, AMD should support both RDNA 1 and RDNA 2. Otherwise, people such as myself will have to hop back to NVIDIA after... Being uh, Getting burned by the 57, uh, 5700 XT. Uh, did AMD ever respond here? Okay, apparently RDNA 1 works. Oh, RDNA 2 apparently does work? Uh... Or did it ever, or wait, did it just never get merged? Because I've heard very recently that it doesn't work with RDNA 2. Uh... Ah, by the looks of it, it never actually got completed. Yeah, it looks like there were issues with it, and it's sort of just like... nothing really happened with it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) It isn't spamming. It's clarification. You can't tell me that I hate AMD, considering I purchased an RX 560 and RT... I guess RX 6600 XT and develop DL primitives that fully support AMD. I just deeply disappointed the level of AMD commitment for Deep Learning World. Yeah, so by the looks of it, um, they never actually completed it. And it's sort of just like, nothing's really going on. Which is great. Everybody loves that. Yay. (laughs) Oh, Lord. But it's still getting developed. So maybe it does, and it's just not properly listed. Uh, I'm not seeing anything clear about that. I could be wrong. Okay, apparently it does now support RDNA 2 as of a year ago. Uh, wait, does it support it or doesn't support it? Oh, wait. Wait, it... Oh, it doesn't support the consumer class cards. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it supports... Um, It supports some of the compute cards. So the things that nobody outside of, like, data centers and crazy shit like that actually, uh, actually use. Yay. Good system. I love it. If I'm wrong about Rock'em and it does support RDNA 2, uh, please do let me know. Uh, like, properly support RDNA 2. Like, consumer class cards, not, like, data center nonsense. Uh, please do let me know. But uh was lame, blah, blah, blah. but also the the other the other problem with Rockham is from my understanding it's also a pain in the ass to set up and like with the intel compute stack uh also just not packaged everywhere so yeah with the case of uh rusty cl it being in mesa pretty much it's just going to work now there is some tweaking that still needs to be done over on the the open source radeon driver side but when that's dealt with then it's good you're good to go speaking of um good to go i saw a bunch of articles about av1 in o- in obs29 coming from these uh <laughs> coming from a lot of these linux news sites and do you know what i've noticed about a lot of these linux news sites a lot of them are really lazy in the way they actually do their reporting. So when you read it like this, it really does sound like Linux is getting support for the AV1 encoders. And if we go over to the GitHub, unless it's changed, let's have a look for AV1. So AV1. Uh, here we go added support for AMD av1 encoder for rdna 3 GPUs on Windows added support for Intel av1 encoder for Arc GPUs on Windows posted on a Linux blog making it sound like there is support for av1 on Linux now it's not just on uh, on this site a lot of the Linux sites all do the exact same thing I saw this and I was going to do a video on it Um, OBS 29 Linux AV1. Let's see how many of these we can find. Uh, here's one from Linux Gaming. (laughs) From Gaming on Linux. (laughs) Look at this. Guys, read the changelog. It's literally not for Linux. It's for Windows only. It specifically says that in the changelog. Like, how are people actually? How are people actually seeing this and are like? And and actually don't and just don't read it. Like, how do you do? How do you do a report on this and just not read the changelog? People are like, hey, is this Windows only or do they work on Linux? Only works on Windows. Uh, though this form window already OBS blah 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 Windows. Yep. Uh. Yeah, okay. Just other people saying the same thing. And like every single Linux news site, every single tech site framed it in a way. Actually, wait. Did WCCF Tech do it? Uh. No. They just don't care about Linux. Okay. <laughs> I'll give WCCF Tech the uh. I'll let them off the hook because they just don't care about Linux. Um. But, like, Pharonix did the exact same thing. Unless they changed it? No. Oh. No. Okay. Pheronix did actually make it a little bit clear, but not exactly clear. Pheronix is usually a, a Linux news site, and they do mention a Linux download here. It's not a Linux download for the AV1 support, but the article, like, the title specifically mentions AV1. And everyone's like, "Is it for Windows? Perhaps." Yep. Uh, <laughs> no, you will find images for other things, but the AV1 support is only on Windows. I really wish, like, a lot of these news sites would do a lot more due diligence with how they are how they are covering topics like this. But you know, it is what it, <laughs> it is. What it is, basically. Um Phronix has done this m- I, I do like Phronix Phronix has done the same thing in the past with like HDR video encoding as well now I believe HDR video encoding actually no this might be a different example I think in this case that actually is supported on Linux you just cannot do anything with HDR on Linux so it like, actually doesn't matter <laughs> um, oh no yeah. I think it captures HDR feeds if you like stream in from a HDR capture card uh, but it won't display it as HDR, but it will capture as HDR, which doesn't matter because unless you're going to port the or, you know, like send the data to another system, there is no HDR workflow that exists on Linux anyway, so it just doesn't matter. <laughs> like, when I do my... When I do my videos on like whatever random topic like this, whether it's OBS or anything else, I spend just a... St- Stupid amount of time reading mailing lists and reading fucking forum posts and reading all of this junk. Trying to clarify things that aren't always um, very clear. Like, this is really obvious when it comes to, like, a lot of kernel mailing list stuff. Because, you know, if you're writing something in the kernel mailing list, you generally assume that people are going to be reading it are also kernel developers. So you don't generally bother specifying kernel terminology. So as someone who is, like, reading it outside of the kernel, it can be a little bit hard to follow some of the stuff that's going on. Now, a lot of the time it's not too bad, because the Linux kernel is very, very well documented. But when it comes to something like all of these Wayland changes that are happening, um... Wayland is a lot less well documented. Like, the documentation is there, but it's a. It's kind of a giant mess to read through. Like, it really assumes that you have a really in depth knowledge of the Linux graphics stack. So you can find this, you know, certain terminology. Like, what is a surface? What is a subsurface? But you read it and you're like, I have no idea what is being said right now. Which. Is kind of kind of fun, kind of a mess. Um, sometimes I can kind of like work it out, work around it, things like that. But there's always going to be those issues where, yeah, it is kind of a mess. And I, I don't, I don't hate anyone for like, you know, framing these articles like this because you know, I will frame my videos in a way that makes it better for views, things like that. But I, I do wish we were in a world where you didn't have to actually do that. Where you, you know, just upload something like as is. This is you don't have to like frame it in a way that looks weird. It's just like this is exactly what's happening, and there's nothing else to to really question here. Um, but it's also very possible that a lot of these a lot of these articles just aren't, you know, I guess especially in the case of ones that are like you pump out you know fucking five a day. Aren't as um aren't as well researched as you may, may like them to be. As I said, I like Phronix. I like gaming on Linux, I like 9 to 5 Linux. Not as much 9 to 5 Linux, they usually just tend to like repost what other people have posted in slightly change, but Phronix is the place I usually go to for my Linux news. Just because Phronix is um kinda cracked. Like, there is anything that you care about in the Linux space has probably been reported on in Pharaonix. There are very rare occasions where Pharaonix doesn't beat me to something. Like, I'm usually late to something. But, like, Pharaonix will have everything. Like, even stupid things like, oh, some tiny update to an application, some tiny update to the Linux kernel, things like that. I really do like Phronix, and uh, I do highly recommend you actually go and try it out. What the fuck is this? One X player. Uh, one X play, what is this? One X player? One of the new hardware drivers set to be introduced in the upcoming Linux 6.2 kernel cycle is the One X player sensor driver. For supporting hardware monitoring on x86 64 based handheld gaming devices, while well, One X player. Uh, devices ship Windows by default. Linux is becoming an increasing sought-after target, particularly with prospects for running SteamOS. Is this another handheld... Huh, I've not heard of this system. Um... Ryzen 6800U? Running Windows 11 by default. (laughs) Yeah, let's run Windows 11. What is is the price of this one? Because I still can't buy a Steam Deck. Uh, I'm not going to buy this, but I do want to see what the price is. Is it like a it's not going to be like a pre-order thing, is it? One uh, X Player, One X Player Store. Let's have a look. Pay as low as ninety-nine dollars a month with Klarna. What the fuck is Klarna? One uh, X Player Two. Okay. Wait, does that say December? Oh, it's an Indiegogo project. I see. I see. Learn more on Indiegogo. It's certainly got a very. Uh, Very gamer aesthetic, that's for sure. Oh, you can take the things off. That's neat. So it's got more of a... A Switch style of... uh, I guess handheld method there. Uh, Do we have a price here? 8.4 inch display plus the most powerful CPU in the world. I'm sorry, what? The combination of a large display, the most powerful CPU... And most powerful CPU is the best. Now, I don't want to question your marketing, but I'm pretty sure the 6800U is not the most powerful CPU in the world. (laughs) I have a feeling that English may not be the, um, the, the, the developer's first language. Uh, let's see. Where does the 6800U sit? Here we go. It does sit pretty fucking high. I will give it that. It It is kind of a ridiculous CPU. Um, but it's certainly not the most powerful in the world. That is a bit of a, uh, bit of an overstatement. Uh, why is Indiegogo... Why is your Indiegogo page so empty? Show me something. I don't want to play your audio. I don't know if it's TOS or not. Uh, multiple play modes. Oh, you can't see it, right. I forgot I have my thing set up stupidly. Magnetic keyboard. Whoa. I guess that's that snap on keyboard. Game console slash tablet slash laptop in one. I think a laptop requires a keyboard. I don't think you can call that like a, a laptop. I'll give you a tablet, just barely. I guess an eight ah, an inch tablet. So yeah, that I guess you can call it a tablet. Two point five. Wait, two point five k. What? What the fuck is the screen that high res on a display that small? Uh okay. Dual Harman Kardon certified speakers. I don't know if that means anything. Classic orange ambient light of PL family. What the fuck does that mean? AMD Ryzen 6800U? The most powerful processor in the world. 13th generation Intel Core i7? 1X Player 2. <laughs> Wait, is it supposed to be a lowercase X or a higher case X? 65.5 watt hour laptop grade battery. I don't know what does that compare to how big's the Steam Deck battery? Steam Deck battery. Now obviously software is a big part of uh a big part of your uh perform your battery performance. Wait, say 65? Wait, I'm sorry, what? 65.5 Watt hour. What does that convert convert to in... Okay. 65.5 Watt hour. Uh, w... Wait. Uh, I definitely... I, I need someone to do this for me. Uh, WH to MAH. Let's see. Milliamp hour. Uh, wait, are you, wait. Are you saying you have a six? Wait, sixty-five. Um, are those wait? It for anyone listening right now is. M- wait, a a watt hours is a is one watt hour a thousand milliamp hour? Because that's what the number was showing me. But that doesn't. That seems like it's uh, definitely wrong. Because that would mean it's like 10x the battery. <laughs> 10x the battery capacity. Um, okay, wait. It is what, is. what is this? Is it the same size as a. See details. Let me see. And. I can't. Uh it's probably a big battery. I'll give it that. It's probably a big battery. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay, okay, okay. So I'm seeing something on Kit Guru, which has done the numbers for me. A. So wait, the con. Wait, regardless of the CPU, the console come to the. 1,700 milliamp hour capacity. Okay. Okay, there... Unless I'm, I was reading something different. Um, Big battery. Big battery it's got, which doesn't make any sense for how big the device is. So I have no idea if this device is actually real or if it's like just straight up a scam, which is very possible. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure, but I can't find a price. Uh, The old one? Okay, right. <clears throat> that's why... That's why... It's, yeah. Okay, so it's a thousand... The original model was a thousand... Or is this a new model? Wait. One X Player Mini. There's 6800U. So it's a thousand dollars. I see. Okay, maybe you could actually call it a laptop... If that's the uh, the price you're charging, <laughs> how thick is this thing? Wait, how thick is this thing? Give me a, a where'd the image go? There's a, there's a... oh here we go f- 12,450 milliamp hour. Oh okay, that's the smaller battery. So yeah, the um the bigger battery yeah it is seventeen thousand whatever. It doesn't look that much bigger than a than a Steam Deck. Where the fuck are they fitting their battery in this thing? I have no idea. I, I've not heard anyone talk about this device. Uh, I wonder if I can find something on YouTube. Um, I might check it out afterwards. Because I don't think LTT's done a video yet. 1x player. Um. Oh, no, they have. They did a video on it a year ago. Oh. Uh, did I watch this video? did. Uh, well, it's a real device, so I-, I guess there's that. I have no idea if it's actually worth it, but it's $1,000. Um, yeah. Now I remember why I was going to talk about this. I don't know how we got onto the topic, but um, what I was going to talk about is the Steam Deck. Because there is some exciting news for the Steam Deck. Not for me, but for people in Asia. So over in over in Japan, Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan, and a couple of other places. where is it? Wait, I literally saw it just before. Let's go to Twitter. let's search for on deck because they just mentioned it earlier. on deck. Here we go. No, not on deck capital. Steam Deck on Deck. Here we go. Here we go. We're happy to announce that Steam Decks will start shipping in Japan, South Korea, Hong Kong, and Taiwan on December 17th. So if you're in one of those regions, you can actually start getting yourself a a Steam Deck, which is really cool. But you know what's not really cool? That Australia... I'm going to show you a map right now, okay? World... Map. So. So, here we go. World map. Yes? Yes. Okay. Here is Japan. Here is Australia. They're not that far away. Why? Are there no Steam Decks in Australia? I guess you can give them to New Zealand as well, but why is there no Steam Decks in Australia? Why is there no Steam Decks in C yet? Let... Just... Guys! All I want to do is give you money! Start selling Steam Decks in Australia! I know there were rumours... Uh... All the way... I think like back in August... Um... Steam Deck Australia... I can't spell apparently... Steam Deck Australia... Where there was some like discussion about it... Um... Like, going through... EV Games. There are, <laughs> there are people actually trying to sell them in Australia... Uh, for, like, nonsensical prices. $1,300. No. No. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. I'm not buying a Steam Deck from a third-party site... For $1,300. That's not gonna happen. That's a 1300 Australian, uh, not American. 1300 American would be even uh even more. What we should be paying for a Steam Deck when they are available for the 256 gig around $700. That is like the actual price it should be. Um but no, Valve is still not selling them here, so I still can't buy it here because pain, pain and suffering. Let me give you money, Valve. But uh, for anyone over in uh, in those East Asian regions, I hope you enjoy your Steam Deck, and uh, yeah, go do that. Don't buy the official Steam Deck dock because there are cheaper ones. I don't know why you'd buy the official one because um, JS Orcs have had one for months, uh, like literally since the Steam Deck came out. I'm pretty sure. See if we can find it. Because how much was the official? I I think the official one was like ninety dollars. Uh, JS Orcs Steam Deck Dock. Uh, if we look up official Steam Deck Dock, here we go. The Steam Deck Dock, uh, Steam Deck Docking Station. Uh, connect your deck. I love the fact that the Kate Because the fucking USB-C port's on the top, you gotta do this stupid thing to make it actually connect. I love how dumb that system is. Like, why did you design it like that? Uh, but it does have things you'd expect to be on there. DisplayPort 1.4, HDMI 2.0, power in, gigabit Ethernet, and a bunch of USB 3.0 ports. Uh, but the orcs Steam Deck dock is... Actually, how much... Was the official doc? Does it say? Uh, it doesn't say the price here. It's like log in for reservation. Price 90 US. Wait, is that 90 strip? No. Uh, 90. Yeah, 90 US dollary. Not dollary dues. Uh, dollary, dollary expensive. Um,. Now technically you could say the Orc stock is is worse like it only has 1 HDMI out no uh a, a, no display 1.4 it has two USB A ports uh yeah that's the only downside actually it doesn't have a uh, display port and it only has it has one less uh USB port I think that extra USB port actually is pretty valuable I think that there are probably other docks available though. Um best steam deck docks. Here we go. Uh, Involver? One USB Wait. That has three USB 3.0. That is not even remotely close to a dock. That the like half these are uh, half these Steam Deck docks are <laughs> I just like regular laptop docks that will still work because it's basically just set up like a laptop. Um, But yeah. Anyway, the reason why I think that extra USB port is valuable is I want to say a better version. Is this a better version? Ha! There's a better version. Okay, take back everything I just said about the uh, old dock. So the this dock is thirty eight US dollars. The upgraded docking station is 40 48 US dollars. So still half the price. Um this has 3 USB ports. It still doesn't have a display port, but I don't think that's that big of a deal. Like it is nice to have display port as an option, but HDMI is perfectly fine. It's not like you're going to be driving, you know, fucking 4K 144Hz. I don't think... Does DisplayPort 1.4 even support that? I don't know. For what this Steam Deck is capable of outputting, HDMI 2.0, I would say, is fine. And if you really like using DisplayPort, like your monitor only has a free DisplayPort, you can deal with it by just getting a um, HDMI HDMI your display port uh, adapter cable, and that is going to do. I, wait, does it work in that direction? Shit. Maybe you can't do that. You probably have a free HDMI port though, especially if you're gonna plug it into like a TV. I think having the display port there is valuable, but it's not a it's not a major deal. But having the three USB ports is great because let's say you have a keyboard, a mouse, you have an extra port available, or you want to do um I don't know. Uh any sort of peripheral set. You have that extra port available or for some reason you want to have three peripheral single like you want to have a um a USB uh headset for example. You probably should just use like a you know one that goes into your audio ports but a lot of um a lot of uh headsets are going to be USB headsets. I think that actually is valuable, having that there. And for $45, it seems like it does, you know, basically everything that you'd want it to do. Like, I can see the value of the DisplayPort. Like, that I get. I just don't think it's... I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it justifies... Unless you desperately need DisplayPort. I don't think it justifies the extra $45. It might for someone. And maybe you care about, like, you know, the Steam Deck branding. Because I think one of the problems with the, uh, the JS Ork stock is... And I think most people will agree with me here. Uh, where's a picture of it from the front? Can we see a picture of it from the front? Can we can 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 we can can we see a picture from the front? There, from the front, it's a little bit fucking ugly, <laughs> like this giant silver thing with "JX Orcs" written on it. Yeah, not a fan of that. Uh, that look. The official Steam Deck dock, which is a terrible name, and Valve should have just called it the Steam Dock. Um, it looks a little bit cleaner. Where is it? It's, yeah, no branding on the front. Actually, no branding anywhere on it, does it? Maybe there's a a Valve logo on the back. Yeah, there's a Steam Deck logo back here where you can't see it. But, yeah, on the front, there's nothing there. It's clean black. It, like, the same, uh, I don't know if it's the same material, but it's definitely the same colour as the regular Steam Deck. (coughs) Ow. Um, yeah, but for an extra $45, uh, for me, it's not, it's not worth it, but maybe for someone, um, I'm sure it's going to be valuable for someone because it's going to sell, it's going to sell units no matter what. People, people like, you know, they, they want to buy all of the things in the same sale, all of that fun stuff. Some people are a lot more, a lot more obsessed with, uh, ...the aesthetics of something than... ...you know, someone like I would be. Um, But, uh, you know, speaking of aesthetics... ...speaking of aesthetics... ...let's talk about something crazy... ...that I saw a uh, a couple of days ago. So, I presume you guys know about... ...full body tracking in VR. Where you have, you know, trackers on your body. Actually, in case any of you guys haven't seen... ...how uh, full body tracking actually works... Let's see. VRChat full body tracking. Um, Someone who actually has a video of themselves with the sensors on. Yeah. This should work. Um, Can you see the sensors? It's not super easy to see the sensors because they're wearing uh, clothes of the same colors as the sensors. Uh, Okay, This is with the Tundra Labs tracker. You can, yeah, you can see the sensors on their feet or the trackers on their feet. So you've got these things basically like attached all over your body. Uh, I don't care about your anime avatar. Uh, here we go. Uh, dancing here. Yes, yeah, so you will have these. You have the controllers in your hands, and you have these trackers on various points in your body. You get. I think right now VRChat sports like ten trackers. You don't need all of them, obviously. Uh, but the more trackers you have, the um, the more accurate tracking is going to be. Uh, there's another one here using... I think this is the... with the Vive trackers, if I'm not mistaken. And the problem with the... She wait. If we can find a VRChat 40 tracking Vive trackers. See if we can find a better, better example of Vive trackers. Because uh, these are really cool, but they're also fucking giant. Uh, let's see if we can find an example of them on your feet. Show me an example of you wearing them. Let me see your feet. Here we go. Yeah, look at these things. <laughs> these things are a fucking monster. Like for anyone just listening, it's probably like half the length of your foot. Maybe like a a third of your foot. Ac- yeah, maybe like a third of your foot or a quarter if you have big feet. Uh, but they're also like, you know, maybe a good five centimeters high. So if you like land on them, like you want to do the worm on the ground, for example, this is gonna kind of fucking hurt. Especially if you got them in places like your knees and you got them on like your elbows, things like that. If you're using all of the tracking points, it's going to be, uh, it's gonna be very, very cumbersome. The other problem with the Vive trackers, especially, is the Vive trackers. Vive trackers. Uh here we go. Are very fucking expensive. $239 each. So like a full-body tracking setup could you could get into the thousands of dollars. Now there are um cheaper solutions that are coming out, like Slime VR is one I heard about very recently. Um so this is uh, like someone who's actually like made a Slime VR with the Slime VR code, and you can like you know buy and pre-made. But Slime VR is completely open source, so there's like a GitHub for it here with all of like the Slime VR code. Um, I think on their website or somewhere around here, yeah, they've got like their own. Uh, there's like DIY kit and stuff like that. You can like build it all from scratch. You can like do whatever you want with it. Uh, yeah, or you could, like you can straight up build them from scratch if you want to like full on DIY or you could like pr- like buy the um pre-made boards things like that. So you have to you don't have to do any soldering, which is the route that any sane person would probably take. Um or you would go with like the pre-built ones. Actually, this is the one that any sane person would take. Uh and then <laughs> the other ones are for slightly less sane people. And this right now is the from my understanding, like, the cheapest solution that is currently available. Like, it will set you back, like, maybe a couple hundred dollars. But recently, um, Sony unveiled something super, super cool. Uh, this one is not open source because, you know, it's Sony, things like that. It is, like, you need, you need to use, like, their proprietary app, things like that. But they introduced this thing called Mocopy, or... Yeah, I guess you call it Mocopy or Mocopy. I don't know, depending on how you want to say it. A 350 device translates your body movements onto a Metaverse avatar. I really hate the Metaverse branding. It's for doing full body tracking. Um, Let's play this and let's get rid of the music because it's very DMCA. Um, this is like a full set of trackers. So you have two wrist trackers, you have a head tracker, a hip tracker, and two ankle trackers. I imagine at some point they might release a set that's like... More tracking points. But this is um, what they're doing right now. <laughs> and they are like really, really small trackers. Like genuinely tiny. There's like an app that like automatically connects them. And look at this. Compared to those giant ass fucking Vive trackers, this is smaller than like a wristwatch. This is a lot less... Um, a lot less restrictive. Now, I think japan is the only place these are being sold in uh initially but i'd be very surprised if they don't like expand out into like into the u.s europe places like that because this is like this is really big for doing um doing vtuber stuff like that's obviously why it's in japan first like it's very obvious why it's in Japan. Um, now, obviously, the big VTuber companies have their own, like, you know, internal stuff. But most of the indie VTubers don't have that uh, that amount of money to be able to be handling stuff. For those indie people, this is really big. Like, really big. Also, they're working directly with VRChat to uh, make things just play nicely out of the box. Like, no, I don't care about your music. Uh here is a better demo that isn't like just a just an ad marketing piece uh, It's explaining how it works. Uh, here we go. Here's actually demonstrating like how the how the movement functions. Like you can see especially when he starts uh dancing there is going to be a bit of drift on the feet which considering that you don't have like trackers directly on your feet there is going to be that drift things like that also it's just like six trackers so you're going to naturally have a bit of drift but even so like this is this is kind of insane how easy it's getting like that's the problem with slime vr slime vr from my understanding because it's all like open source stuff it is going to be a bit of a pain to set up here, being a proprietary app, it just all magically automatically works. Now, if things stop working, fixing it's probably going to be a bit, a, a bit more of a problem. But we're actually at the point where, like, you could legitimately do full body tracking stuff, and it's not that big of an investment. Like, you want to do a v- you want to get a VR headset, so that's honestly going to be your most expensive thing. It's sort of swapped around initially. The, uh, the VR headset was the uh, was the cheaper part and the proper full body tracking so much worse but for obviously you know for proper mocap stuff in like games and movies this is not gonna work but VR chat especially if you ever seen anything from um, Fro actually can I bring up anything from fillion that isn't going to be TOS um, let's find out fillion fillion flips yeah. Like here we go. He's just Philly and doing a bunch of backflips, uh, and hopefully not flashing the camera this time because she's she's very good at that. This is a uh, she just uh, does stuff inside of VR chat, and you can see like it's a little bit scuffy. Like your feet are gonna slide around a bit, and your legs are gonna wobble because VR chat isn't exactly the uh, especially doing things like flips. Um, VR chat isn't gonna be perfect at translating that. Uh. That tracking data in. So if it's a little bit scuffed, it doesn't really matter. For for use cases like this, it's basically perfect. And considering how small it is, like I don't see how how it like could really get much better. I have a feeling she's going to fall over in a minute. Yeah, there she goes. Ah. <laughs> uh. Go watch Philly and stuff if you haven't. She is a uh, very entertaining. Usually um falling over and hurting herself. But yeah, VR stuff is getting like super cool. Even though Meta is basically putting themselves out of business trying to make VR better with the amount of money they're putting into it. <laughs> it's certainly getting better quicker, like on the VR side. And then with how big VTubing is, And, like, how big, like, you know, people wanting to do the 3D VTubing stuff as well. That's also making some really cool stuff available as well. I don't know where we go from here, but I hope that wherever we go, it leads us to some really cool devices. Like, I don't plan to use them myself, but I do want to see more people have the ability to do things in a creative way. With devices that are actually affordable. Because the more affordable you make these devices, the more you can actually have people genuinely, tr- like, just trying things like this out. Like, you've got the, um... Now, I know the iPhone isn't cheap. But if you already have an iPhone, a lot of the, like, super expressive VTubers... I don't... Does it... Wait, does Galdium use an iPhone for her face tracking? I know Snuffy does. Um, Snuffy face tracking. Here we go. I think I've shown Snuffy's face tracking on the on the 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 podcast before. Um, maybe I have. I don't know. Here we go. Um, but she uses the at least at the time. I don't know if she's changed her setup uh, now. At the time was using like you know how uh, Apple's got the are they called they're not an emojis are they? That's Samsung's thing. Apple's got their like. Animated emoji nonsense. And you can actually use that functionality. With. Uh, if you've got like a model set up to properly handle it. With a. Like. a VTubing solution like this. And I. Like. I love that people are able to actually do things like this now. And not have to buy you know. $10,000 pieces of gear. Like it's actually getting to that. That. Prosumer, in I would, I, yeah, I'll still say it's like the prosumer space, not like you know consumer, like oh, you buy like ten dollar thing, it works perfectly. But if you already have an iPhone, if you have a couple hundred dollars, you can do a super expressive face capture with a super expressive mocap, basically on the cheap relative to like what it was you know, three, four, five years ago. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm very, very excited. Um, speaking of being excited, why did someone DM me on... Uh, oh, so that's why someone DM me on Discord. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, things I'm excited about... Uh, I've got a bunch of topics in here. I actually don't know which one I was going to go with. <laughs> Let's go with this one. So, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet... Are a um are a are, are video games. Uh actually, you know, if I just look at Pokemon Scarlet and Violet bugs. Um and Violet bugs, let's see what we find. They are very, very buggy games. Whether it's, you know. Here we go. Here's a here's a video. Whether it's, you know models completely breaking apart and doing whatever is happening right now. Uh, Whether it's the backwards long jump, (laughs) you have this, Uh, whether it's the backwards long jump where you're not supposed to be able to jump up certain surfaces, but, oh, you can also fall through the ground, apparently. Um, But (laughs) if you jump while going backwards, uh, you will just go up walls. Like, you can just... Anything where you can, like go up a wall and slide down if you backwards long jump up you can just get to the top uh there's issues like this there's uh <laughs> there's issues where sometimes you will teleport through a door and uh when you're like nowhere near the door there's issues with <laughs> wait is this is this one here Is this the. Where's the giant lanky dude? Where's the giant lanky dude? I saw it. Oh, there's issues with the game switching, like rendering and de rendering parts of the arena, like based on which option you select in the menu, for I don't know what reason. It's just bugs all over the place, but it also has horrible performance. And. The funny thing about this horrible performance is the Steam Deck actually emulates the game perfectly and not just, you know, at the native frame rate you can up or you can um you can firstly upscale it to 4K, but you can also play it at 60 FPS. Like <laughs> I don't think this one is upscaled to 4K, but this is definitely running a um a 60 FPS mod and runs flawlessly. There has never been a time where the current generation of games on like a home system, obviously, handheld's different, but on a home system is perfectly emulatable during the generation. But the Switch is that. The Switch is such slow hardware that you can emulate it flawlessly. Actually better than it plays on hardware. Because the game runs like shit on actual hardware. And you can still see, like, how much fucking pop in the game has. Watch the, uh, the grass line here. Like, <laughs> it's popping in, like, three meters. Also, shadows pop in, apparently. Wait, here we go. Like, this tree or this mountain didn't exist. It wasn't just just wasn't being rendered. You get closer, and then it's now casting a shadow. Like... T- or, like, the, uh, the shadows weren't being rendered. Like it's that much of a fucking mess. But, um, yeah, it seems like playing on the Steam Deck is the optimal way to play Scarlet and Violet. <laughs> or you could probably play it even better if you played it on, like, just, you know, re- a regular desktop. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, playing at a good frame rate, it actually seems like a fun game. Now, I'm sure it's still just as buggy. Actually, probably more buggy because emulation is always going to introduce like a couple of bugs here and there. Um... <clears throat> oh, here we go. Here's this person running at 4K 60 FPS. <laughs> so they've upscaled to 4K and it's still running fucking flawlessly. <laughs> like, what are we even talking about here? Like, this is stupid. <laughs> Like this is how bad not only the Switch hardware is, but how badly this game is is just optimized for the fucking Switch. <laughs> so if I end up playing Scarlet and Violet, I might end up just fucking playing it on on my desktop. Oh. <laughs> uh... yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, it's insane how just the frame rate alone goes such a long way to improving the look of the game. Do you have any tips on where to start when it comes to modding Switch games? Uh, no, this person isn't modding it on the Switch. They're modding it on PC. Uh, is there a mod that allows you to not initiate battles from touching Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I do hope that Scarlet and Violet eventually do become um... Actually, you want a good example of where the, the shadows aren't rendering? Here we go. Um... This is okay. So, there is a system in game development called, um, what is it? Fucking, uh, why am I forgetting it? I, I was gonna say something. Uh, l- level of detail. Why am I forgetting basic words? Level of detail. LOD. So, basically, the idea here is as things are further away, you render them as a, you know, lower level of detail. And usually, when you do that, Um, you know, you're going to cut out things like shadows and things like that aren't going to play nicely. Now, usually shadows stop playing nicely when things stop becoming 3D models. But the way the shadows work in this game is so buggy that it makes no sense what has a shadow and what doesn't have a shadow. Look at this tree back here. This tree has a... I think it's a tree that's casting that shadow. Something back here is casting a shadow. But look at the, I guess this is a Pokemon Center? I haven't actually played the game, so I'm not sure. You can actually see this sort of render. Watch this little bit here. The shadow just loads out of fucking nowhere. But objects further in the background still have their shadows being casted properly. I don't know how they decided how level of detail works in this game. But it doesn't work like any game that's ever sensibly be designed. Also, I think the shadow's even like way further back being uh being rendered. But there's so many things in the way this game is designed that make no sense. <laughs> but um, hey. You know. <laughs> oh god, it's it's a mess. I hope it ends up becoming good at some point, but right now, there's not that point. Um, I kinda wanna play like the 1.0 build. Just to see, like, how bad it's gonna get. Like, I've seen other people talking about the bugs. Like, you know, if you've been at all on Twitter, you've probably seen at least uh or like on YouTube and seen Small Ant clips or Alpha Rad clips or Pokemon challenges clip or any Pokemon uh, or any Pokemon Creators clips. You've probably seen a lot of stuff about how buggy the game is. Uh but I kinda wanna see it in person. Just cause I tend to have a knack for breaking games and just, you know if I find something that I can consistently break apart, I'm going to find a way to tear it to pieces and uh, see where it's going to take me. Uh, (laughs) So maybe I'll have to do that at some point, but I don't have any plans uh, to do that uh, at any point soon. But maybe, maybe I'll do it. I don't know. Speaking of things that... Uh, you probably shouldn't do. (sighs) Let's talk about a dumb TikTok trend. So, software claiming to unfilter TikToks and expose nudes actually infects users with malware. Now, we need a bit of context on why this exists. So, there is a TikTok challenge called... The invisible challenge. So, TikTok has a, uh, a filter that will, like, find where you are on the screen and then, like, cut you out. So, TikTok, being fucking TikTok, has this trend where, you know, people of all ages will record themselves naked and use this filter and post it on TikTok. So, there is very likely footage on the TikTok service of people of all ages naked. Now, I would hope that TikTok is only saving the the footage with uh, with the filter. But, um, you know, nothing's come out yet. It's very possible uh, that... You know, it's fine. But other people are doing things like posting their fucking credit cards and using the filter. I hope that at some point the filter breaks or someone accidentally doesn't use the filter and posts their fucking credit card on the internet or gets their account banned because they fucking post a nude on, on fucking TikTok. But, Because people are stupid and are doing this dumb challenge. Once again, people of all ages, if you're 18 plus, go ahead and post your titties on the internet. Don't do that if you're not 18 plus. There there are people that are seeing this like, oh, look at this attractive girl. Or like attractive dude, I don't know, you might like some big old giant cocks. Um, and they're like, how do we remove the filter? Now, if you know anything about how video works, you would understand that when you render a video, it's not like a Photoshop document. There's not multiple layers. There's the video. You can't remove the filter. Like, that's just not how that works. It's physically impossible to remove a filter that basically crops out a part of an image. Now, there are ways to, like get rid of blur, but as we saw, it's not a blur, it's like, it is blurring the background, but it's actually cutting that person physically out of the image, so no matter what you do, you are not bringing that person back, but people are dumb and want to see some titties, so, they, people are downloading, (laughs) downloading software that say it can remove the filter, but in reality, that unfiltered download actually comes jam-packed with malware capable of sealing passwords, credit cards, and other information. Attackers cited in the Chexmark report posted their own TikTok videos promoting software they claim could remove the invisible filter. Those videos included links to a Discord server, of course as a fucking Discord server, where users could go and download the files. That server called Space Unfilter includes nude images uploaded by the attackers offered as proof that the unfilter tool works. So what happened here is likely they... (laughs) is likely they found fucking nudes on the internet and then used the filter on it and they're like, look... We have the filtered version and the unfiltered version. <laughs> but I guess if you're fucking fifteen years old and you're so stupid that you go to a uh, go to a Discord server to download something that unfilters porn, um, you kinda deserve to get all of your shit stolen. If you're over the age of I don't know eighteen and you download something like this. You're a little bit dumb. Just go watch porn like a normal person. It's okay. Go and look at some hentai. Go and look at some—I don't know—some little, uh—I don't know, fucking whatever you want to look at. Go, go, go look at anything. Go look at like a little bit of, uh, I don't know, fucking work it out. Work out whatever you're you're interested in. Go to fucking TikTok and <laughs> try to unfilter this nonsense. It's not. Going to work. You deserve everything you get if you suffer from this malware. I feel zero sympathy for you. Everything that happens to you is entirely your own fault. (laughs) Oh, God. Every so often, there is a TikTok trend from, like, why? Like, there have been TikTok trends, you know, about stealing cars about sticking forks into electrical sockets. Into, like, <laughs> into stealing shit. Stealing shit on camera. Like, oh, ages back, there was that thing where people were going around, opening up ice cream, like, containers, and then licking the contents. Like, why are you doing that? What are you doing? If you go to jail, you deserve every bit of jail time you get. And same with the people that were stealing. I think it was, I want to say it was Kiers. There was a couple of um <clears throat> couple of older car models, like not that old, like in the mid-2010s, where they built them without immobilizers. Because they were cutting costs. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what an immobilizer does, you don't have you have a car that has like little a little button start um, and you can't start it without having the key. That's because of your immobilizer. The immobilizer immobilizes the car and stops people just, you know, stealing it because they broke your window. Without the immobilizer, uh, yeah, you could just steal the car. (laughs) Like, you just steal the car. Like, they're so stupidly designed. Um, so the, the car companies absolutely deserve fault for building cars without immobilizers, but also don't fucking steal a car. Don't steal a car on camera showing your face. Why are you doing that? How are you this stupid? I know, because you're you're a fucking child. You shouldn't be on the internet. Um, but um, speaking of things that shouldn't be on the internet, the Australian or uh, not the Australian government, a member of the Australian government, a member of the Australian Parliament, did something was trying to do something involving video games. Now, usually when I say this, it's usually something dumb like, um, let's say a politician a few years back who was trying to say that Goblin Slayer sort of endorses like sexual violence and things like that which if you've seen Goblin Slayer you would understand that the goblins are the bad people they're the the bad people are doing the bad things and Goblin Slayer kills them for doing the bad things i don't see how that was endorsed yet or you have uh you know ratings for games that don't make any sense. Like, you have an 18-plus... or you have a game that should be 18-plus, and they're like, nah, we're just not going to rate it. Like, I think initially it was Saints Row 4? Yeah, Saints Row 4, where they didn't want to rate it because it had, like, drug references and some sexual references. Then there's things like... I think Hotline Miami originally... Like, Hotline Miami 2 didn't originally get rated in Australia because... I don't know, we don't understand what our 18 plus rating is. But this time, this time it's actually good. So there is a member of parliament called Andrew Wilkie. And if you imagine what a boomer looks like, this is the most boomer looking man that you have ever seen. Like he's got the fucking Vegeta hairline, his hair is all white, he's got reading glasses... This is a boomer. This is like peak boomer. But he's trying to do something good. This man is... He's got like a vendetta against the entire gambling industry. He fucking hates the gambling industry. And uh, will do anything in his power to regulate the shit out of it. And what he wants to do is include loot boxes inside of that definition of gambling. And if a game has loot boxes... Doesn't matter if it's Genshin Impact, doesn't matter if it's fucking Bejeweled, doesn't matter what it is, if it has loot boxes, that is gambling, and that game should be by default rated 18. And you know what? I agree. There's nothing, there's nothing about this situation where I can disagree. I think if your game, look, if you wanna have loot boxes in your game, I'm totally fine with that. I don't think you should. I don't think we should ban the concept of loot boxes. I think if you start doing things like that, that gets into like a weird gray area where you know what defines a loot box? How do you how do you actually classify what that really is? Now, this can certainly get into that situation where you know Companies are trying to obfuscate what a loot box is, like what Diablo Immortal does, where you run the same dungeon, but you run it with crests you buy, and by equipping these crests, you will get better drops. It's basically a loot box with an obfuscation mechanic, it takes 5 minutes to run the dungeon, and you get random loot. But you have to pay to get that random loot, so it's basically a loot box, um... But without, it's not as obviously a loot box like uh, a fake granddaughter, like Genshin Impact, things like that. I think this is good. Like, if if you want to do loot boxes, sure, do do it. 18 plus, that's fine. And I feel like that would end up, that would end up cutting. If if other countries did this, like if the U.S., if Europe did this, I know Europe's not a country, but like the European Union, if places like this did this and just made 18 plus it wouldn't get rid of loot boxes but loot boxes would become a lot less valuable because a lot less you you have a much smaller market where you could actually get that money from and it would naturally <clears throat> it would naturally disincentivize these being in the market now my worry is if you disincentivize them what happens then like where do we go from loot boxes that keeps bringing in the money, and that's something I don't know. It's very likely NFT gaming. Um, yeah, it's very likely NFT gaming. Which, considering the crypto markets in the shitter, maybe isn't that bad. Maybe they tried and be like, "This is actually terrible. We're just losing money." I'm not a like I'm not fussed with like. Battle passes, for example, if, like that's what you want to do. Hey, go ahead. Whatever. Like it's it's a it's annoying. You have to pay for a thing every month or whatever, or every season, three months, six months, whatever they do. But it's a lot less of a big deal than hey, you could buy this skin if we let you buy it, or we could just give it to you in game. We're not going to let you do that though. The only way you can get this skin spend you know maybe five dollars maybe five hundred dollars maybe five thousand dollars maybe it'll drop at some point especially if it's like a five star or an SSR or whatever their ranking system is um yeah if that's the way you're gonna be doing it uh it's gambling it's gambling it's fine I kind of hope this gets a lot of attention in the in the gaming space I don't know if it's going to Um, because, you know, sometimes people care care about what Australia is doing. Sometimes people don't. Let's see if anyone's talking about it on YouTube. This did just happen today as I'm, uh, as I'm recording this. So, it's very possible that no one's actually made a video on it yet. Uh, yeah, I'm not seeing any, any videos on it. There is a lot of... Okay, we have a article, or a video from The Guardian from a few days ago. But, um... (laughs) But nothing nothing recent. Like all the stuff here is from like multiple years ago. <clears throat> yeah. Um but I hope this gets a lot of attention and you know I hope other countries follow suit. And I do hope this bill gets passed and we can just deal with uh deal with having loot boxes in Australia. Um there was someone who left a really stupid comment on uh on this article. Now most people, you know, are in agreement that loot boxes probably should be like an 18 plus rating thing, but I'm going to show you the dumbest, like, stupid copium comment I've ever seen. Um... (laughs) Right, because kids will never find a way to do things they're not supposed to online. But how would that even be fair within the games? The kids would be disadvantaged against adults who could be paid to win, so there would be a handicap. And so what would they do? They'll grind away for the better gear to stay competitive, so it may prevent them from gambling, but will encourage them to spend even more time playing games. No, because it's 18+, and the game can't be sold to them. That's what the 18-plus rating is. Now, there are certainly ways to get around that, and I got around it as a kid myself, but you can't, like... If it's a if it's a console game, for example, you can't walk into a game store and buy an 18 plus game if you're a 12 year old. You just can't do that. And the same is true on like the Play Store, things like that. If your account is not an 18 plus account, you cannot uh you cannot get access to these things. Now, this does mean that parents actually have to be a parent and make sure their kids have a properly aged account and do- and don't have like a you know a fake 18 plus account. But, that inv- uh, once again, that involves parents actually being parents. You can't just have the government, like, make this illegal and then it's just going to go away completely. It does involve some cooperation from the uh, from the people who are supposed to be looking after these children and making sure they are not doing, not doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But if you want to, like, gamble your life away as an adult, like, whatever, it's your money. I, I don't think you should but it's your money whatever like i'm not going to stop i'm not going to be able to stop like sports gambling or poker or uh slot machines existing and i don't really think there's any any reason to do so like i get it it destroys people's lives but if you're going to if you're not going to destroy your life like gambling there's plenty of other ways to destroy your life as well and there's not really any way to stop you doing that like if you're going to destroy your life you're going to destroy your life but i do think Having more utilities available to, I guess, explain how this works. Explain how it's addictive. Things like that. Uh, Yeah, I think that's good. Also, here's another dumb copium take. Ha, Australia, right. That's a government you want in your video games. Oh, wait. Like, yeah, the Australian government is shit. And, uh, yeah, we'll do a lot of dumb things. But I think in this case, this is a good thing. <clears throat> I think this is just universally a good thing. Let's see if we can find any other bad takes on this. Uh Australia Loot Box Lore. Kataku. Is Kataku gonna have any bad takes? Probably not Kotaku itself, but maybe in the comment section. Comments. Let's see. Uh the same should apply to mystery box toys and trading cards both are designed in the exact same way to get kids addicted that's an interesting one. like it's it is basically the same mechanic i don't i've not really thought about the idea of trading card mystery box toys i think depending on the context like if it comes with like you know a happy meal for example And they just give you something, and then, like, a a kid's not just gonna keep going back to McDonald's to get a Happy Meal. Like, their their parent has to take them there. I think these, you could probably make a justification that they are just as bad. I think the difference with the, like, online gaming stuff is the fact that your game progression, like, there is a, like, with these trading card games, You don't have a. some sort of progression system physically built into them. But with the. with, you know, loot boxes in games, there is that progression system. Like, you get to the next stage in the game with these loot boxes. But I think you definitely could make a reasonable justification that trading cards are probably just as bad. And probably you should just sell an entire set of cards and nothing else. Um. I wouldn't mind seeing something done about in-game currency either. It's deceptive and teaches kids bad practices. (sighs) I don't... Okay, that's another interesting one. I don't think the idea of in-game currency, like currency you buy with in-game money uh, with real money, sorry. In-game currency you buy with real money I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think the issue is more about the way it's dealt with. I think you'd be it's definitely much better to have it be a direct dollar value. A d- direct dollar value like you want to buy um I don't know 10 spins of the gacha, it's going to cost you $15 for example. I think that's certainly a better system, but the issue with the paid currency is when you have the obfuscation cu- the obfuscation currencies and the weird incremental values. So, you know, you have to buy uh, gems, which will let you buy crystals, which will let you buy uh, magic crystals, and magic crystals let you buy tickets, and then tickets will let you buy ultra tickets, and those can then be used to do a a mega spin, and the mega spin has a chance of giving you back more crystals so you can keep the cycle going. Like, when you have those layers of obfuscation, that I can definitely agree is probably predatory. I think that's a fair assessment. And I think any game developer who's using these tactics would agree it's predatory, not because they don't like it, but because they think it's predatory and it's good for money. Um, especially game publishers. Maybe not game developers, but definitely publishers. Um, then there's the issue with the weird increments where you can't buy, you know, let's say something costs 500 gems. You can't buy five hundred gems. You can buy two hundred gems. You can buy four hundred gems. Let's you can let's say you can buy two hundred gems. You can buy six hundred and thirty gems. Uh nine hundred and fifty-three gems. And there are these weird increments where you can never get exactly what you need. It's always going to leave you with extra gems, but not enough extra gems. Where you can like actually buy something. Let me find the Tower of Fantasy or Genshin Impact. I think I use the same um, impact. Micro- I think they use the exact same uh, numbering system. Uh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. So you can buy sixty crystals, three hundred crystals, nine hundred and eighty crystals. 1,980 crystals, 3,880 crystals, or 6,480 crystals. Also, uh, you get double crystals. Oh, I think this is probably your first purchase. I haven't played Genshin before, but <laughs> this is, uh, that's my assumption. Also, you would assume the biggest one is the best value, but that may not be the case. In this case, it's actually the middle one. So usually you think, oh, you buy more, you get a better, you get a better discount. But no, 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 no. It's not always the case. Systems like that are definitely predatory as well, and I think you can argue probably shouldn't be in gaming. Um, but I don't think just having a, like an in-game system is necessarily bad. It's just you can make it bad, and usually it does end up being bad. Um, Here's someone talking about Battle Passes. I know they're also super profitable, but I'm not fully convinced Battle Passes are more profitable than loot boxes. They're definitely not. And I can't help but wonder if the more recent developer shifts to them, where previously there were loot boxes, looking at Blizzard is partially because they saw laws like this coming. Uh, no, it, it, I don't think it has anything to do with the laws that were coming, I think it's definitely the fact that loot boxes are definitely way more profitable than battle pass. Like if someone buys a $30 battle pass, they spent $30. If you have all of the things in the battle pass like skins and weapons and whatever, in loot boxes, well that $30 suddenly goes to $300. Even though everyone's not going to sp- not everyone's going to spend it, you only need like a fraction of those people to get to, to dump that money in to make the same and then even more, like loot box games are built entirely around the whales. So you want to have, you want to have systems in the game where the whales can dump as much money in as they would ever want to do so, and you never want to have a, um, you never want to have a ceiling for the whales. The ocean should have infinite depth, and they should be able to keep swimming as much as possible. So I hope this uh, laws like this pass through, and you know, we see a time where loot boxes aren't this major thing that's gonna be done. But yeah, like if, if this d- didn't happen, because a lot of young gamers now are growing up, like if you you know, if you're a 12 year old right now and your first video game, you know, you started playing Fortnite, for example, you've been playing video games your entire life with loot boxes. So the idea of loot boxes existing is not strange. This needs to be dealt with before an entire generation of gamers grows up with loot boxes being a completely accepted thing. They need to be relegated to a just pure gambling. And that's that. I don't know if Fortnite has loot boxes. I'm pretty sure it does. But if if it doesn't, then, you know, take back what I said about uh, Fortnite. Like, Warzone. Warzone has loot boxes. Like, if you're playing Warzone as a kid, you know, there. Or, like, anything else. Like, Genshin Impact. Genshin Impact's a great example because it makes 10 cent a lot of money. I kind of wonder how much money a game like that would make if it was on... If it was forced to either drop loot boxes or it was forced to be 18 plus, like, world... Like, around the world. I doubt China would do it because China knows they make a lot of money from uh maybe China would change it if the rest of the world said fuck you to loot boxes. I don't know if the Chinese market is well it's it's definitely a giant market, but if you lost the EU and the US market, that is going to be a giant chunk of the money you're making and you might have to then think about other monetization strategies to uh to like actually get that money to the level that your investors, you're definitely your investors are uh, want to see that money at. <laughs> but um speaking of uh of money, let's do our last topic, our last topic on the elongated Musk rat. Elon Musk is delaying Twitter's paid verification to avoid Apple's 30% cut. So Elon went on this fucking rant on Twitter, I think yesterday. A rant that I can agree with, and I think most people do agree with, uh, for which is rare for what Elon says right now, um, <laughs> where it was on the Apple tax, on Apple having their, their 30% take. Now, Elon is kind of stupid, where he calls it a hidden tax on the internet, where it's not exactly hidden, because everyone knows about... Uh, <laughs> knows about there being the 30% tax on the Apple Store. So it's not exactly very hidden, but it's definitely a tax. And uh let's see. So he's actually changing up the way... Well, initially what he was going to do is he was going to have it be an in-app purchase on the iOS app. But he doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want to give Apple any money. So <laughs> so what he's going to do instead is just not let you buy it on the iOS app. If you want to buy it, you can do it on... uh on uh, the web interface, I think Google will end up trying to take a cut as well. So it probably won't be in the Android app either. You probably will have to do it on your on your web interface uh, <laughs> so you can avoid Apple taking any money. I, look, I can respect that. Of, of the dumb things that Elon has done recently, this one I can fully respect. Uh, if you don't want to give Apple money, fucking don't give them money. Find, a, find, like, a workaround to avoid giving them a single cent. And that's fine by me. The other thing he actually wants to do, which is another thing that I do completely agree with, is raising the price of Twitter Blue from $7.99 to $8. Now, this might sound like, a, a you know, raising up the price or whatever. This is actually a really good thing. The idea of, if you've never, like, understood what the deal is with 99 cent pricing, why um, 99C pricing is bad? Um, you, you can find, like, a lot of articles about this. About how, it, it's basically a pricing psychologi- uh, psychology trick to convince you something is a lot cheaper than it is. So if I say something is... Let's say you'll see this very commonly with car ads. If I say something is, you know, ten thousand dollars, okay, that sounds like a lot of money. But if I say it's nine, uh, if I say it's nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine, that suddenly sounds like a lot less. Like you've removed an entire number off the end. And it's the same with like it's not, uh, it's not four thousand dollars. It's thirty-nine ninety-nine. 39 yeah 39.99 that sounds so much cheaper and i guess elon isn't exactly a fan of this practice which is great like that's that's actually a good change Mo- remove the predatory pricing and just have the actual price being there because everybody knows if it's 7.99 it's actually $8 like that's what it really is it's just there to be a uh, a a psychology hack to be to trick people into thinking it's way cheaper. The other thing that's really curious is it's going to require phone number verification. So the last time we had the Twitter verification, it didn't go it didn't go very well. You had you had people making so many fake accounts being like I am George Bush and like <laughs> saying things like what was it what was George Bush's one I think it was some like I miss killing Iraqis or something like that. There was Eli and Lily where someone made a verified account and and said that fucking um, <clears throat> insulin is now free and their their stock just completely tanked. Elon realizes that this is bad and is going to get him sued again. So now putting in some um some methods to stop this happening. Phone number verification is going to severely limit the amount of people that can really do that because it's it's not difficult to get a like burner phone number, but it's a lot harder than just giving Elon eight dollars and suddenly having a check mark. It adds a barrier to entry that limits some of that uh limits some of that abuse. Now, how abusable it still is and uh, ends up. How abusable it still ends up being is sort of up for debate and sort of to see what's gonna happen when it actually goes live and all that fun stuff. But I do hope it goes better. Because as much as I as much as I like ranting about the state of Twitter and how it is kind of in a wobbly state with firing a bunch of their engineers, I do hope Twitter does better. And if it gets to the point where, you know. Twitter is a much better platform than it ever was, I'm fully willing to say that I was wrong about Twitter initially, and Elon's doing a good job. My only concern with with Elon running Twitter is that Elon has zero experience running a social media platform. Now, I'm not saying that I would do any better. Like, when I'm I critical of what Elon's doing, I'm not saying that I would do better, but it does need to be remembered that Elon does not have any experience running a social media company, as could be seen from the uh, original Twitter verification situation where he crashed company stock prices, uh, banned a bunch of people because his roles were really unclear, and convinced a lot of people to quit the platform and go somewhere else. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> and you can certainly make arguments about the, you know, the way he's been handling polls for example polling his own his own followers <laughs> his own followers about whether something is a you know a good idea on twitter it isn't exactly a you know unbiased valid poll so he is fucking around like that but i'm curious to see where it goes and if it goes well that's good we still have um Four minutes left. What do we talk about for four minutes? Hmm. I could just end the show now. (laughs) I've got other topics on the list. Uh, You know, we're going to do a couple of rapid fire things. Here is rapid fire numero uno. Portal RTX releases on December 8th. And it... Shut up. And it looks very good. Like, really, 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 really good. Like, I've never played Portal. But I kind of want to get an Nvidia card just to play it. Uh, play it with ray tracing. I should actually go and play Portal. I originally, Portal still looked fucking good. Like, considering how old Portal is at this point, it still looks bloody good. But ray tracing looks quite a bit better. And anyone that has an Nvidia card who either hasn't played uh hasn't played Portal or hasn't played Portal in a while, it. Probably is a good idea to go back and check it out. This is free DLC, so you can very easily, uh... You know, very easily go and try it out. Uh, yeah. Next thing. Lex. Next thing is... Oh! Here's this AWS thing. Amazon built the most realistic version of SimCity we've ever seen. I have no idea what the audience for this is. Like, what... Like, who would ever want to use this? But they built this giant, like this giant um, city simulator software it runs on AWS it can be decentralized like a- over a bunch of servers so you can I think they show a bit of de- yeah here we go so you can like split it up based on a uh, between servers and like scale it out massively do these massive like city-wide simulations I don't know like what the purpose of this actually Actually, is like who would use this? Um, but I think it's cool. I think it's very cool. I think some of the comments maybe mentioned something. Uh, all I want to know is who the regular customer for this are government and sea planners. Sure. Um, accurate and fast modeling of crowd behaviors and other swarms is a crucial part of urban planning efforts as well as scientific research that, ev- that revolves around the study of particles. Uh, For the former, it allows you to determine planning parameters, like how wide a certain throughfare sidewalk should be, how many pedestrian crosses you need at every X amount of distance, how many subway exits to place and where. It helps you design a more pleasant and safe environment where you don't get overcrowding and are able to address a locale's needs. This is especially pertinent for high-density areas like stadiums, commercial high streets, and so forth. Sure. Yeah. It sounds really neat. Um... Yeah, it it sounds like super cool. I just don't know why you would like. I, I I'm sure there's like some yeah, some city planner use for this, but like outside of that, I don't I don't know if there is like any purpose. Maybe there is. Someone smarter than me is going to certainly um certainly work that out. Uh, oh, and we'll end off with this one: the world's first test run of a hydrogen jet engine. So, I think I've talked about hydrogen cars on this show before, but um, yeah, you can buy hydrogen cars. Like, that's a thing. Hydrogen cars. Australia. They're not exactly viable 99% of the country, but I believe in Melbourne, there are a couple of hydrogen fill points. Uh, your hydrogen refueling stations for the all new Toyota Mirai um, there's not that many of them uh, but there are a couple of them and it's neat like this idea of not just electric cars like oh we're gonna do everything with fucking batteries and nonsense um, I think this has like an electric engine in it but it also has the hydrogen fuel cell and it's, it's neat but one of the big issues with uh, with getting these alternative fuel vehicles is with aircraft. Because, you know, you need a lot of thrust for an aircraft, and you don't want aircrafts to, like, fall out of the sky. Now, obviously, they're going to be fucking aerodynamic and all that, so they're not going to fall straight out of the sky. But you want things to be able to go long distances. Um, and we're starting to see now, like, you know the testing of these jet engines that are not using traditional traditional fossil fuels i'm very curious to see if this ever becomes a like a major thing maybe in like 20 30 years uh they've been testing hydrogen jet engines since 1955 uh, okay first modern jet engine um like, this is getting to the point where, from my understanding, it could actually be used in a in a vehicle. Like, actually used. Which is the problem with, uh, you know, building any sort of new tech like this. You can build, like, a, a test demo that technically works, but can you actually build it in a way where it is viable in an actual machine? I think that's where... This is starting to get to. But it's still a long way away. And maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll be flying in hydrogen jets. That are totally not incredibly flammable. Um, Yeah that's a problem with hydrogen. Hydrogen is very flammable. Yeah. Uh, also it's very expensive. Not because hydrogen is very expensive. But because you need it to be pressurized hydrogen. You need a lot of hydrogen, and there's not really that much use of fuel hydrogen in this kind of context. So, there's not exactly much demand for it, and there's not much production of it for these, these kind of applications. So, pricing is, like, stupid high. I think to fill up the Toyota Mirai, it's, like, $300. Um, Price to fill Toyota... Here we go. Cost to fill Toyota Mirai. Uh, it costs you up to $80. No, I don't think it's... It's definitely not $80. No, that's way off. Uh. Okay, no, no. (laughs) Ah, okay, no. No, it's like $100. But it also doesn't have much range right now. Uh, Toyota Mirai range. Let me just see. Toyota, yeah, that number doesn't sound correct to me. Toyota Mirai range. I'm pretty sure the range is very low. No? Wait, has shit improved, like, way quicker than I thought it was? Because last time I checked, it was, like, a couple of thousand dollars to refill. Wait, maybe it's, like, way cheaper now. Okay, take back everything I said. Our hydrogen is considerably cheaper than I thought it was, uh, which is cool, which is really cool because electric cars are cool and like pure battery driven nonsense, whatever, really cool stuff. But other things are also cool. And the problem with electric is it takes a fucking long time to charge your battery and no one wants to wait, you know, 30 minutes to charge their car. They want to go out now. It doesn't matter, So it's only 30 minutes, it's, it's not that long anymore, it's 30 minutes. I don't fucking care, I've got places to fucking be. Whereas with these hydrogen cars, I think they only take like a little bit longer to fill compared to a regular petrol car, and it's always going to be quicker, because, you know, it doesn't take that long to like, just pump some fucking gas into a car, as opposed to charging a battery. You can charge a battery quicker, but you know, the more power you dump into a battery, the more it becomes a fire hazard. And I'm sure one day it's going to be a lot quicker, but I don't know if you can ever genuinely have like that petrol-like experience where you rock up to a station, it takes you like a minute, a minute and a half to fill, and you pay, you're good to go in like three minutes max. I don't know if that's ever really possible on battery. Maybe one day, but from what I understand, uh, not so much. Anyway, uh, I think that's going to be pretty much it for me. I don't have anything else I wanted to mention on here. Uh, there's other things that I could go over, but um, maybe I'll save them for next time. I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's going to be it for me. So next week, I do have a guest lined up. Uh, I'm not sure who it's going to be because I've got like a two guests kind of lined up at the same time. So... It's either going to be Lena or EG. You'll see when it comes out. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's going to be it for me. So if you like this episode, go like the podcast, go subscribe to the show, do all of that cool fun stuff and that would be great. I've got my gaming channel, which I will be rebranding soon when I actually decide to rebrand it. Uh, That is Brody Robertson Plays. It's going to be a lot less of a mouthful easier for me to say and just just all-around better name uh, and the main channel is Brody Robertson where I do Linux videos six times or so a week and occasionally do other things but usually the Linux videos uh yeah if you are listening to the audio version of this you can check out the video version over on YouTube. If you're watching the video version, the audio version can be seen as a RSS feed on basically any platform that you know sends out podcasts. But you can find it on like any any of your favorite podcast aggregators as well, like the iTunes or the, uh, Google Podcasts, whatever else is available. And uh, yeah, go check it out. So I think that's gonna be pretty much it for me then. And yeah. I'm going to go, so peace out.